0: Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. It's never too late to get started in multifamily. You just need to get in the game with that first deal. Today's guest, Jeff Greenberg, CEO and managing member of Synergetic Investment Group, did his first deal when he was in his mid 50s and learned quickly what and what not to do. He has had amazing success with C-Class value-add deals in Texas, and he's now moving on to help other investors vet sponsors and deals to leverage the attributes of real estate for their own financial stability. So today we have with us a seasoned veteran. He is not Johnny come lately to uh, multifamily or student housing and syndication by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, He's been doing this a while and has been rather successful. So today I want to uh, welcome Jeff Greenberg, who is the CEO and managing member of Synergetic Investment Group and a number of other things we will probably cover. Jeff, thanks for joining me on Street Smart
1: Success. Thank you, Roger. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Yep. So I know you're in Camarillo now and I see from your profile, you went to Cal State Northridge. Are you, were you, did you grow up in the Valley? Where, where are you from originally and what was the uh, progression of, of Jeff Greenberg's early life?
1: Well, I basically grew up in, in West LA, at least from the fourth grade on. So that's on the, you know, the West side of uh, Los Angeles, close to Santa Monica that area over there and where were you uh before fourth grade before fourth grade those of you that are familiar with uh la i was over near uh burnside area i think it's uh burnside and and pico over there uh it's on the the south side of pico Um, that's where i was from kindergarten till uh, till the third grade
0: yeah well i'll be the only guy to maybe in the last 10 years of that we'll ever ask, where were you before kindergarten?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, before kindergarten, yeah. Well, that, before kindergarten, I was still in that same location. Before that, I was in uh, my mother's womb, I'm afraid. I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I ask because, you yeah. know, a lot
0: of times, you know, people are from like, from LA, they're originally from the East Coast or Midwest or something and escaped. So that's why I ask.
1: Well, I'm I'm afraid my uh, mother actually was a native from Los Angeles as well. So I'm um, second generation, which is very unusual. You don't find too many people. My dad was from Colorado though. He was from Denver.
0: God, I was from Denver. Wow. And that that was back then that was a cow town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, so and you went to school in Northridge, and so when you went to school there, were you commuting from West LA, or were you living out there?
1: No, I was living in uh, Van Nuys at the time. I actually had a house in Van Nuys. Got it, house in
0: Van Nuys. All right, and then uh, how did you wend your merry way into the uh, real estate business?
1: Well, that one, uh, you know, from there I moved moved out. I was out in Camarillo uh, at the time. And I had gone from working for the city of Ventura and then later on into um, worked for a private school back in L.A., actually just outside of L.A., and then later on for a technology company. But uh, along, along the way, I guess probably about 2005 was when uh, I was actually going through a divorce and a, a friend of mine started talking about real estate while we were on a hike. And so I started about in 2005 as far as looking at uh, REOs or bank owned properties, basically in the single family biz. And it wasn't a great time to be doing that. And then I heard somebody talk about multifamily and got involved in that in about 2007 as far as learning about the multifamily business as well as syndication. So, That was pretty much where when I started this voyage. So uh, what
0: what did you do at that private school? And was it was it high school? Was it grade school?
1: Uh, The private school was just outside of Bel Air. Those people that are familiar with the area, very wealthy area. Originally, I was there as, you know, the aquatic director. I ran the pool and all the PE programs involved uh, in the pool. But then I got into technology uh, when the first uh, and I'm going to date myself here, uh, working with Apple IIs. And the, when the Mac Plus came out, I got excited about that and started pushing myself into the technology and got the first Macintoshes uh, in, in the school and then started uh, pushing that, helped to develop the technology in the school. And uh, became ended up being a computer teacher, and then uh, basically running all the technology in the school uh, until until I left. You know, I was at the, up there for about 20 years and moved on to a technology company, uh, Zebra Technologies, that at the time were uh, actually out in Camarillo. So you were at that school for 20 years? Yeah, in different positions, in different positions, starting out at the pool and working my way up through technology. And then I started training all the staff and uh, started conducting classes for the kids, trained adults as well as kids, became the main guru on technology. We're talking back in when When did the, the Mac came out in, what, 84. Um, so it was in the 80s that I was teaching technology. It's very interesting because I I already see
0: this pattern where you I mean if I if I knew nothing else other than what you just told me what I would extrapolate is you are not particularly fearful about taking on new things like you you it seems like you lean into whatever kind of interests you and you go for it uh, whereas a lot of people are are just more they're, they're more afraid to do things out of their comfort zone
1: well. I push myself, and uh, as I tell people, uh, you don't grow until you uh, push yourself out of your comfort zone. You don't grow in your comfort zone. So, yes. And and then from the school, I went in directly into a technology company where I worked uh, as a network engineer for a billion-dollar company, and we kept the, the company functioning, and, and I, I worked there for another 17 years. So what's so
0: interesting is that what I'm gleaning is that you had learned enough. You, you basically were self-taught when you were at the school. That's what I'm getting from that. And you can correct me, but so much so that, you know, by the time you left, you had enough knowledge under your belt to basically be a network engineer. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, um, uh, pretty much. There was a few steps in between. But yeah, I eventually got up to the network engineer position as I worked my way up. Wow. Um, and so y- y- you said in 05, you were doing REOs
0: and like you said, not a great time because, you know, that's when like the market was just going through the roof and you didn't, you know, the, S- you know, the REOs and foreclosures and short sales maybe a few years away and then you said you heard i think you said heard somebody talking about multifamily like like who was that person and like what was the milieu and circumstances
1: well you know the back on, on the on the prices out here in the la area I, I don't know exactly the dates but prices were starting to drop and the banks didn't know what to do they were getting a lot of properties back and they didn't know what to do with those properties. And so um, I did hear Dave Lindahl speak. And because I was going through a divorce at that time and I was reevaluating my situation as far as my retirement, um, and because I was gonna be losing my personal residence to my ex, um, I had some money and I could do some investing, But when I found out that I could actually use other people's money to invest in real estate, I decided that was the direction I needed to go because I had limited funds and I was in my mid fifties and didn't have the time to, you know, start from, uh, you know, the, the single family to the duplex, to the fourplex and work my way up slowly. So I knew I had to accelerate it. And using other people's funds was my ticket out.
0: It's so impressive. I'm just blown away by that. I am uh, a year away from being in my late. uh, Being in my late fifties is a year ago, if you follow me. So, and I. So, in other words, I'm not much older than mid fifties. Let's call it five years. And I just now, I've I've got you know, I have a different path. And so I don't have a gun to my head, but I'm not so sure. Even if I did, I would have had the 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 courage, the hoots but to do that, like that is that that is like unbelievable. And I understand your need at the time, but wow, because it's not a it's not an easy thing to do. So like, so how did you get started? Like, what were the first steps?
1: Well, I did go through programs with Dave Lindall and had my mentoring uh through his different programs so i started that way um there were very few podcasts at the time there was the real estate guys uh the real estate radio guys and i did listen to them and i actually did become part of their program as well they were out of san jose at the time um and it wasn't for another couple of years that i that that bigger pockets has had just start coming around or I heard about bigger pockets. So getting into bigger pockets I was learning. But for the most part, bigger pockets all they were talking about was single family homes, fix and flips, you know, the burr method, you know house hacking. You really didn't hear much about people talking about multifamily, at least large multifamily. It was all small stuff they were talking about. And so from there, I started to get a reputation and people were having conversations with me. So I was finding investors that way, but I, I really wasn't learning uh, about it. So it was mainly going through, you know, and learning from uh, Dave Lindahl and going out and getting it done, you know, figuring it out myself. So what was your first multifamily deal? The first deal we did was a 20 unit property. And uh, it was probably too small to syndicate, but we did. Uh, we had to raise $350, uh grand for it. But the nice thing is, well, I mean, the, I guess the good thing and the bad thing, um, the good thing was that it was a three-year-old property. It was not an apartment. It was actually five fourplexes. But we treated it as a uh, 20-unit property. But because it was new, it was 100% occupied, uh, and they were already paying their electricity, what we didn't realize was there was not a lot of value add to significantly raise the value of the property was very difficult. Where was it? It was in a town called Harlingen, Texas. It's outside of McAllen, between McAllen and Brownsville, if you're familiar with the west west side, or I guess I call it south Texas but it's in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas.
0: You know, I'm up near Oakland. I'm in a little town called Alameda right on the other side of the bay from San Francisco into most people like me, towns like that. Well, most people like me would never have heard of those towns. However, uh, in my other... In my day job, I am familiar with those towns, and they're towns that are a lot bigger than and growing a lot faster than one would imagine. So I kind of do have a concept of where they are. And so 20 units, uh, you raised three
1: hundred fifty grand, and how many investors? Uh, we had about 12 investors, I think.
0: Got it.
1: What year was it? That was in 2010.
0: So how did you deal? So, you know, with 20 units, you don't, I'm presuming you don't have on-site management. It's just too small. How did you deal with the management of it? It's, and, um, you know, how how did all of that work? I'm, I guess it was a, a newer property, so it might not have been uh, the craziness you might get in a bad neighborhood. But what what was all that like?
1: Well, we started out with the broker that brought the deal to me wanted to manage it. And that was probably our biggest mistake. Because he, he was a lousy manager, and it caused him to lose quite a bit of money. The property was about 35 miles away from where he did his business. He was he was lousy at creating systems. He was lousy at delegating. So every time somebody had to come out to the property to show the property or to collect rents or something, he had to be there. And he was losing money because he wasn't getting his job done. and so even though i still consider him a friend i had to fire him and that was probably the nicest thing that i did to him even though he didn't think so at the time but it was not it was not a good thing for him to be doing that and so we fired him one because he was really fumbling at it but he had also started to get in inappropriate people into that quality of product that we had and at the time we fired him, which was late, we should have fired him a lot earlier, we had six of the units were vacant. And we finally, you know, that was kind of the last draw. We did not fire as quickly as we should have. We should have fired him a lot sooner.
0: How long did it take?
1: Um, I think I think we had him, um, I don't remember if it was a full year. It It might have been. I mean, in the beginning, he was doing fine. But later on, it got to be where, since he had to drive so, I mean, 35 miles, you know, I mean, it's still, you know, 45 minutes, an hour of his time every time he's going out there, plus the time there and the time back. But he started putting anybody in there that came in with a deposit. And he didn't care what the application said, if they were qualified or anything. He just was putting, you know, anybody in. And so the quality of our, clientele was going down quickly. Why did he even want to manage it? I believe it's an ego thing. Hopefully he's not going to be listening to this, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's one of those people that are very independent. He thinks he can do everything. You know, he thinks he could be successful at, at everything, but you know, and, and he's, like I said, terrible of delegating. And there was a lot of other things that he could have delegated. I mean, he had a very, a very sweet wife that was very bright. She was actually a dentist in Mexico. But when she came to to Texas, of course, she couldn't practice. So she was doing things that were way below, way below her, her uh, intellect or skill level. And she certainly could have shown the properties. But instead, he would take his time to show the properties because he felt he was the only one that could negotiate, you know, a, a good lease term instead of establishing a lease, a lease amount and letting her go do it. So there was plenty of things that he did inefficiently. And he's probably still operating that way. I mean, he's he's a broker, uh, but he's independent, and uh, he has nobody working for him. So he's not very efficient.
0: Yeah, see, my, my guess was, I was just thinking that he probably, I don't know, my, my guess would be knowing nothing more would be that he needed the money. And then I'm making up in my mind that he wasn't making that much as a broker because a top broker, I mean, even in that market could make, frankly, a lot of money. And certainly his time could have been a, worth a lot more than managing, you know, a 20-unit property. But that's neither here nor there. We we, we needn't dwell further. Do, do, you, do you still have the property?
1: No, no. We had that property actually for six years we started uh, trying to sell it at year four and a half and because we had not added a significant amount of value um, because they're just what the whole value was either uh, billing back water or um, you know and raising the rents because at the time we were 100 percent occupied so it was real slow uh, increasing the value and so we were gonna lose that entire increase on closing costs and you know brokerage fees. And so we picked a number and we said, okay, we will not sell this until we get that number. That way our investors will get a decent return. We'll get a tiny bit of money and we'll be out of here. And it took us until year six. We, we had to actually extend the loan and it took us to year six before we actually got someone that would pay for the pay that price. That's very interesting. Did you have, um, I I guess
0: any, any connections from Dave Lindahl or yeah, I guess from Dave Lindahl at that point, is there anybody else that reviewed the deal that you ran by and, you know, got input?
1: I don't know. I didn't send it to anybody else at that point in time. Uh, we were, weren't, really involved with uh, his programs anymore so by by that time so really didn't but we had another interesting issue that might be very interesting to your listeners in that these were fourplexes but we treated it as a 20 unit property we had to sell it as a 20 unit property and couldn't sell it as fourplexes because of the valuation method Okay, the as a commercial property, it's valued based on its NOI, its Net Operating Income. And we were able to get, you know, our value based on that. If we sold it as individual fourplexes and it was going to be valued on the comps, the only comps that were in that little neighborhood that this, these were in, there was about 20, 20 of these units in the neighborhood. The only ones that had sold in years was three units that were sold on a foreclosure. Wow. So the only comp that was there was a foreclosure comp, which was way below the price per unit that we were trying to get. So we had to sell it as a commercial property and not as a residential property.
0: I see. You know, it makes uh, it makes total sense. I, at the end of the day, that sounds like a good thing in that situation so where did you you know where did you go from there like what was your next uh your next project and, and or did you buy other projects in the interim in that period of time
1: yeah we had also and i think that was 2010 so 2013 we picked up a 62 unit property in uh, houston and that was for actually the same broker that was trying to expand his business into Houston and he actually the we still had a relationship I'm yeah I'm, I must have fired him by then because I was 2013 <laughs> and um so he had gone and he had done a cold call onto a 150 unit property where he actually met a broker or excuse me met the owner and The owner didn't want to sell the 150 unit, but he said, hey, I have this 62 unit that I'll sell. And so my broker went over there to that 62 unit. They haggled a little bit over price. And once he established a price, I was the first phone call. And, you know, even to this day, I, I don't think that that was his most intelligent move because he had other people that could have come into that deal and paid cash. He had other people that would have had much less in the way of problems that we had as far as raising the money. But he called me up. He told me about the deal. He sent me the numbers, and with three day, within three days we were under contract. So uh, that was, you know, a totally off-market deal that we got at a fabulous price, and uh, you know, it was it was a great opportunity. And we did we did very well on that. The investors did very well on that. Well, so when you were saying could could have gotten all
0: cash, could have sold it to any number of other people, you you were talking about he. Are you talking about the broker or the seller?
1: I'm talking about the broker. The broker knew a whole bunch of other people and he actually got a bunch of them ticked off at him because he told me, he says, Here, these guys w- these guys are interested in the deal. Why don't you contact them, see if they want to be investors? And so I contacted them and to see if they wanted to be investors in the deal, and that they were ticked off that they weren't given that deal. And you know, of course, they didn't want to be investors with me; they wanted the deal.
0: You know what's so interesting about the story is that you know you had fired him. It sounds like it was you know you still have a relationship, so it wasn't a scorched earth on either side. Doesn't certainly doesn't sound that way, Um, but clearly he was able to get over. That because he was giving you preferential treatment in a pretty serious way, so it sounds like an interesting dynamic of a relationship.
1: Yeah, it was, and and we had a we had a California connection because he's he's actually from San Jose and relocated down uh, into into Texas, so that was kind of our our connection. So yeah, that worked out. I don't I don't know if the blackmail material I have on him uh, mattered or not. (laughs) Something we joke about when we were in this. when we went to San Antonio to celebrate the first sale, but uh, we won't get into that. Okay. Because uh, f- <laughs> it's it's an
0: interesting, it's an interesting, and it also just speaks to like, you know, the role, the, the prevalent role, like relationships and how the human aspect of this really comes into play. Why did the owner want to sell the building? He wanted to hang on to his 150 unit. Why did he want to sell the 62 unit one?
1: Well, the 62 unit one, his wife was managing. He was supervising the maintenance. He was a 70-year-old guy. Um, he wa- he's he been wanting to sell the 150 unit. In fact, I've been trying for years to sell it. The problem with the 150 unit, it's, it's owned by his family. He has family members, relatives that are uh, majority owners in it. And they don't want to sell it. Ah. He, wa- he wants to sell it because he's still supervising the management. Even though his wife isn't managing, he's supervising it. I guess he's playing the asset manager role. And he would love to get out of it, but he doesn't have the votes. And his family is loving it because they're just getting money. They're just cash flowing like crazy. And he's doing all the work. So he wasn't able to get rid of that one but the 62 unit was his. And so he was able to get rid of it. And he's his wife, I believe, is probably 15 to 20 years younger than him. And she sees the writing on the wall that if she wants to be able to do some traveling, she's actually from Argentina. And if they were gonna be able to do any kind of traveling, she had to get him out of this property in order, you know, before he gets too old, too old to do much traveling. So that was that was the main part of it. Now he had picked it up as a uh, foreclosure. So it was a uh, a foreclosed uh, um, property where he had picked it up at, uh, I think he paid six hundred like $650,000. Um, and that would have been in, uh, I think he had it for two years. So it would have been about 2000, 2011.
0: That's amazing. That's like 10 grand a door.
1: Yeah, well, I bought it for under twenty one in two thousand and thirteen because I only paid a million three for it.
0: That is really amazing. Wow! So how is it gone? I'm assuming with those numbers, I'm you know foreclosure. I'm assuming it's a C property. No?
1: Yeah, it's a C property. It's right off the 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 Gulf Freeway uh, there in uh, in uh, near Hobby Airport. It's about a mile off the end of the runway of Hobby Airport over there. And yeah, we um, we did real well on that. It was about 85 percent occupied. Uh, we raised the occupancy up to 95 percent. We actually added a couple two bedroom units. There was a couple odd shaped one bedroom units where we were actually able to create another bedroom. We implemented a build back the rubs and so increased our revenue. Um, we had projected that in year five, we would sell it for about 2.1 to 2.4. And we actually sold it in year three for 2.7. So that was definitely a windfall, uh, you know, grand slam, uh, uh project.
0: So who managed it?
1: Uh, we had a property manager down in, in Houston
0: and did they i mean were they of of size were they did they have a lot of uh like property in that submarket or you know what enabled them to be you know for that to have gone well
1: well the thing is the the person that we hired had recently opened up her own management company she had over 30 years of experience in the property management business and just opened up her own company and so she did not have a lot of other properties but she had extensive experience and so she was willing to take us on and um, did an outstanding job during during the duration of time that we did have it
0: that is fantastic and congratulations on a on a on a on a grand slam well what what have your other deals been like how many units are you up to and all that fun stuff? What's the composite?
1: Well, the other, one, the other ones we have, I don't have anything else that's um, gone complete cycle, but I've got three different student housing ones. Uh, the one we're working on right now, we've got a, a 225 unit out in Amarillo, Texas, that we're actually um, is going under, under, under contract for sale right now. I probably should keep the, the numbers under wraps because the contract isn't signed yet and the deal isn't isn't closed yet. But we bought that one originally for about uh, 10.3, put uh, about a million, about a million five into it. And uh, now we're going to be going under contract for a significant increase on that one. And we've only held that one for about two years, a little over two years. Well, can you say how much you put in per unit? Um, whatever that works out to as far as about about one point five million is what we put into it, so I don't know what that works so out sounds to. like almost
0: fifty sounds like uh fifty it sounds like fifteen a unit
1: uh no, that's about six point six there was two hundred twenty five units
0: okay, so six point six thousand you mean
1: uh yeah six and six uh, six hundred Sixty six hundred about okay. in each one, which is kind of um deceiving because there were some that we were putting eight in, some putting less in. We only upgraded 80 of the units. So there's we we left some meat on the bone. There's certainly meat on on the bone for the property, but it was 85 percent occupied. And now uh, we were just talking the other day that we're pre-leased at 100 percent. Wow. Currently we're currently about a 98 percent occupancy. uh, But I think we're pre-leased at 100. We did drop down from 85% to 66% prior to, uh, or just just after closing. And so it's taken us the two years to get ourselves back up from the 66 to the 95, 98. And this was, of course, during COVID.
0: What did you do to get the occupancy that high?
1: We ran the property well. (laughs) I had a great asset manager and a great property management company. We created a community. We trained the staff. We, you know, of course, upgraded the 80 units. We put a lot of work into it. We did a lot of marketing. Uh, We had people going out to the company, different companies and, you know, talking about the property. Uh, We we just marketed the hell out of it. The team just uh, was awesome and uh, the amount of work they put into it uh and are still putting into it you know at this point it it was my my team i i can't you know take take uh, credit for it except for bringing the team together
0: and how how many people are on the team
1: well depends on what we're talking about as far as the, the team um the, the you know we have the on-site staff i don't remember what we have i think we have 3 in the office and probably 3 you know Uh, On the ground, but the management company was the big thing, as well as my asset manager. Uh, My asset manager actually introduced me to the management company, which again was another company that had just started out. So I've seemed to have been doing very well with companies that have that are just starting out, but have a ton of experience. The owner of the company worked for—I don't know if she worked for twenty years. 20 years for uh one of the big ones, uh, was it Graystar? And then the the daughter worked for about 12 years, I think, for Citygate. you know, which are big property management companies, and and branched out on their own. And I believe we were the first property that they that they took on, which we were concerned how the lender would be, you know, uh as far as with them. It just so happens that the lender had worked with them on an worked with the 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 personnel the the owner with you know a different company when she was working for the other property management company they had worked with her on another property so they knew her which they when we were going to change management companies three three weeks before closing they were fine with it. So they took a gamble on it. We took a gamble on it. And uh, uh, we wouldn't have been as successful without them.
0: Sounds like, like the pieces just fell into place. When you say like people, you know, team, whether it be the property manager or leasing agents, we're going to companies. What exactly does that mean? Like going to somebody and saying, you know, you, this is a place for your employees to rent an apartment. Like what exactly does that mean?
1: absolutely i mean going into the companies and hey you know here you know we're under new new ownership we're fixing things up you know bringing in brochures uh talking to the people about how we're building community putting on community events of course before covid just letting them know what we're doing and say here can we leave these brochures with you you know bringing something you know bringing some gift to the office staff just anything so they will think of us you know if they bring on a new employee who's needs a place to stay just so they're going to be advocates for us. Um, But just doing that, we had um, we had a uh, a ribbon cutting. What do we we brought in the what is it? The uh, it was some it was some Latino organization. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a Latino based organization that came out and we we had a ceremony with them. We've had the uh the local um spca you know for animals we had them come out to the property and and we had an adopt a pet kind of thing where people were able to adopt pets directly there without paying any fees and just different things that we would do to get our get the attention you know on the property and i think we won won an award uh some property award for the from the city um just putting ourselves out there as much as possible, you know, so the community would get to know us.
0: So in terms of like those activities, you know, the pet adoption, uh, ribbon cutting, these kind of things, were, were those uh, put together generally by your on-site people, leasing people, or the property management company?
1: Well, between the property management and our asset manager were the were the brains to those type of things, and then of course the on-sty- on site uh, on staff people, on site people were the ones that had to carry it out. But a lot, you know, it was a lot to do with the management company uh, and their their creativity and and helping the staff out. A lot of the staff that were in the office, or at least our on site manager has been on the property a lot longer than we had, but one of the comments that she made to us and to my management company is that she was all excited to work for us because she had never received any of the kind of training that she received from this management company. The whole thing is is to bring people up and help them out in their future, and you know they're going to do the best job that they can and and support support the team and that's what we've created is is a community that people enjoy coming to work and doing the best that they can
0: when you talk about jeff you talk about your asset manager is that uh, an employee of yours or is that somebody that lives in amarillo that you pay to manage the asset who who like how does that work
1: okay the asset manager on this i brought her in and. Her thing was she did not want to be an employee. She was not going to be an employee. That so we brought her in actually in uh, to our GP team, and so she is a very important part of our team. And that was probably the best decision I made because uh, she is a much better asset manager than I am, or that that I would be. And then also she introduced us to the management company as well because she had worked with them. And uh, so we ended up going going uh, with that management company. But no, she's basically on our GP team. She is part of our team, a very important part of our team.
0: Does she live in Amarillo?
1: No, she lives in Philadelphia. Wow.
0: No kidding. Okay.
1: How much time does she spend there um she doesn't spend all that much time there she doesn't need to she she talks to the management um the property management company practically every day Uh, she does periodically do some on-site visits probably quarterly Um, and the the management company themselves are based out of houston and so they go there periodically, probably quarterly. In the beginning, they actually moved into the property during at least the first 45 days. I don't remember exactly how long uh, they were, but they actually moved into our model unit. And every day when they would get up, they would put everything away, hide everything, so they could use it as a model unit. But they were living on the property for at least the first forty-five days, um, to get things up and running, to train the staff, to interview people—that's um, how dedicated they were.
0: How big of a company
1: are they? I don't know how big they are now. Um, like I said, we were their first customer.
0: Wow, that's right. That's right. That's right. But that's now
1: right, so- they have done such an awesome job that I—I don't—I'd have to ask them how many doors they have. But I'm in another property with them right now that um, that I'm a part of another property.
0: If, if you already told me this, which you may have just, uh, please accept my apologies. But I, I have to ask, uh, is how did you find, so the asset managers in Philly, how did you find her?
1: Uh, I'm trying to remember. I believe it was one of my partners, Mark Rios, um, was in a program where they talked to uh it was like a it was a owners association uh group that they got together uh on calls uh once every other month or something like that and i believe that's where i was introduced to her uh that he knew her and that she was looking uh we actually brought her on i think she was going to help raise some money um but after talking to her and hearing what she really wanted to do because she had the const- she was also our construction manager but she had a construction background and um she had the asset management background and so we ended up bringing her in for that but it was through it was through another relationship that we we brought her in and then just recently uh last uh i think september She found a deal uh, in Houston uh, and she was the lead on that one. And so because I have so much respect for her, as well as the management company, she was using the same company, uh, that I helped her with her equity raise where I'm not the lead on that. I've always been the lead on all of my deals. This is the first deal I've been involved with that I haven't been the lead. This was her deal, but knowing her as the asset manager, knowing them as the property manager, I knew that anything that came their direction, they would be able to handle. And so I actually brought some of my investors uh, into that deal.
0: And are you a GP in it?
1: I'm on the GP side, yes, but I'm not, but I'm not, the, not the lead. I get it, but you know, what a, what a
0: marvelous thing when the relationships and when the dynamic works out in everybody's kind of uh, helping everybody else succeed. you know, there's bromides and platitudes and you know that that's what you're looking for. But in my experience, it, you know it's it's not that frequent. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing. You're probably an easy man to work with would be my would be my guest. On that property, 226 units, uh, what percent of the rents are you collecting and have you been collecting over the last year?
1: Uh, over the last year, we've been at uh somewhere around uh, 93% or so. Because we're also getting utility billbacks and stuff. Um sometimes the the collections has actually been over a hundred percent, but that was mainly utility stuff that's that's in the rears. But we've we've been uh, pretty much ninety-three or so 95%. We've been we've been doing very well. I mean, you know, I'm obviously concerned uh once the government infusion, you know, stops and once uh the unemployment benefits cease, you know, what's going to happen there. But, you know, at this point we've been able to get help for people. We've been doing our community outreach and helping people uh, find these different organizations that have been able to help them, and so, as I said, we've been doing very well on our rent collection.
0: yeah, it is going to be really, really interesting on a on a national scale, kind of like what happens when the when the spigot gets turned off or the spigots plural what kind of what kind of financing do you get
1: uh we we got bridge financing on that, and as i said we're we're selling. We have a choice right now that either we're going to sell it. If, if that doesn't work out, um, we are going to go get some agency debt on it because we are on a bridge, a bridge loan that we've got at least, uh, at least another year on. And, um, so we'll, we'll decide which way we want to go because we could get a majority of our investors money back and hold on to the property for a while or. We can just uh sell it and go on to the next project.
0: I see um what do you think uh is gonna be the next project?
1: Well, I've changed my focus, so my focus now is gonna be less so as an operator. I am looking at more of raising money for other high quality deal sponsors, and that's why I was willing to go in. Uh, to this other deal where I jumped in as a an equity raiser for her deal, and I'm looking for more of those. I'm looking for more uh experienced quality deal sponsors that could use you know a couple million here or there, and I can help bring my investors in. but I am looking for seasoned uh deal sponsors. In order to uh align with them
0: so why the change
1: well i'm up in the years and my time is uh more valuable to me than a lot of other things and so this is the part that i enjoy the most is working with investors uh bringing investors in working with deal sponsors and essentially doing all the work up front as far as my due diligence but daily operations or asset management uh, is not so much something i enjoy uh i and like i said i enjoy working with investors helping investors out answering their questions as well as helping them get into good deals uh there's a lot of uh high net worth individuals out there that uh, are doing their own jobs. They don't know how to find good investors. And I get that question all the time. How do you find the good deal sponsors? What do you need to do to qualify them? And that's something I feel very comfortable with and can help people out doing that. Very, very interesting.
0: Wow. So, uh... Kudos to you. I mean, what you've done for yourself in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, you've really, you've really made it happen. And you've had, you know, I could say luck and, you know, luck is part of it. But inevitably, you know, you put yourself in the right position and did, you know, more right things than wrong things to be uh, in the situation that you're in. Well, I so much appreciate your time and have really enjoyed our conversation, Jeff. How, how would one contact you if one were so inclined?
1: Well, you can find me at jeff at com, And my web address is, is www.synergeticig. That's S Y N E R G E T I C I G. And if you if you're interested, I have uh, something I can uh, give out to your listeners, uh, which is a little is questions that you need to ask a deal sponsor uh, if you're interested in going into passive investments, so that people can get at sigcre uh, dot com slash sponsor. Oh, that's
0: fantastic.
1: And uh, I've got like 40, 46 questions to ask a deal sponsor uh, for passive investors.
0: Oh, that's enormously helpful. That's S-I-G-C-R-E dot com slash sponsor. Yes. Well,
1: well, thank you again. I, I,
0: I really, really appreciate it and look, look forward to circling back with you.
1: Well, thank you very much. This has been a great, uh, a great time. I've had a great time uh, going back, way back. Um, but thank you very much. All the way to your mother's womb. All the way back to my mother's womb. (laughs) All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Talk to you you soon.